Stephen's going to come and uh, unpack God's Word for us. There, it's two passages uh, that we're going to be reading now uh, before he does that. Uh, one is in Hebrews chapter 10, and the second one is in Matthew chapter 12. The passage in Hebrews 10 is on page 1208 on the Bibles in front of you, if you want to follow We're in Hebrews 10. We're starting at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And then we're going to flick to Matthew chapter 12. It's on page 978. And we're reading the, the last few verses of chapter 12. So we're starting at 12, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We give thanks to God for his word. Good morning. Um, it is uh, great to be to be with you this morning, um, and to be able to to come um, and share just a little bit of um, our thinking and what we think the Bible says about about some of these these big topics. Um, just before we do that, let's let's just pray uh, together. Um, Lord, that this morning we have already used so much. Uh, technology just to, to be here. Um, how we, we made our, our coffee, our breakfast this morning, how we got here. Um, even now, how we're, we're hearing uh, this, this talk, how we have produced uh, music for you. Our lives are completely surrounded by technology. Uh, and Lord, it is good to think about whether uh, we are always using it for your glory um, and to bring us and to draw us nearer and closer to you, or whether we're using it um, 
for quite the opposite, to draw us away, um, to, to, to bring us more and more into our own little worlds. So, Lord, as we think about this this morning, as we think about this in light of um, the whole idea of family, I just pray that you will help us to think clearly about this, Lord, that this will be a, a conversation starter uh, rather than a final word. And, Lord, that you, through your Spirit, would speak to each and every one of us from your Word um, as we think about this, this topic. Amen. Um, if you were here last week, you'll, you'll know that we have embarked on this very short series called Cyber Disciple. Um, the aim of this series is not to talk about robotic followers of Jesus, uh, but instead to, to begin to consider how rapid advances in technology and in all areas of our lives over the last century has impacted humanity, and how we as, as disciples of Christ navigate our way through this world of easy everywhere. We're going to think about how we, we need to be thoughtful and intentional in our approach to and use of this great gift of technology to, to build us up as the people of God rather than be led by, controlled, and pulled along by technology. Technology that, that promises us a better, easier life, but very often only offers us an, an ease which makes us lazy and uncourageous. Uh, uh, that leads us to an individualism that destroys community and family, the things that we're built for. Technology that can sometimes lead us to, to shallow relationships rather than the depth of relationship that we need to grow and flourish as human beings. That might provide us with lots of knowledge, but no real wisdom. And like all things that we can end up putting in the place of Christ, they can lead us to death rather than life. Today we're going to be thinking about the tech-wise family, how we as, as families of faith and as the family of faith can put technology in its proper place, where it benefits our growth as individuals, as members of our households and extended families, and as the wider family of God, the church. How can we use tech to experience more of the life that Christ offers us rather than less. Now, this morning is not going to be about telling you how to parent your children or to give you any hard or fast rules about what should and shouldn't be the practice in your home, how much screen time you should have, which filter you need to use in your internet connection. This is much bigger than that. This is about all of us. Research uh, conducted by uh, the Barna Group Ask teenagers, what is the one thing you would change about your relationship with your parents if you could? The top answer was, I should have done this like family fortune, shouldn't I? I should have put this up. The top answer was, I wish they would spend less time looking at their phone and more time talking to me. There's no doubt that technology has benefited the world. From medical advances to washing machines, from transport to having almost every piece of information imaginable in the world at your fingertips all the time. The world for us in very developed nations is probably easier than it has ever been. But the danger is that if we, we allow technology to use us and shape us in its image, we are in danger of becoming the most individualistic 
unfulfilled, uncreative, unwise, and unchristlike people who have ever lived. And the generations coming behind us could be even worse off. Joshua chapter 24, uh, verses 14 and 15. Joshua is speaking to the people at the end of his life. God has given them the promised land. Joshua wants to just one last time call the people to put God first, to put him above the false gods and, and anything else that promises them pleasure or ease or fulfillment, but isn't God. And he says this, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, uh, the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I hope that we want to be households. I hope we want to be a family who by the Spirit's help aims to, to always serve the Lord with all faithfulness. A community that puts him first. And therefore needs to be regularly assessing the lifestyle and the worldview that we are being constantly bombarded with, to judge it against the very words of our God, who shows us how to live in all ages and in all circumstances. The TechWise family, what is, what is family all about? Well, last week, Christoph jumped right back to the beginning of Genesis, and I'm going to do the same. Because that's where the whole concept of family begins. And it begins not with mankind, but with God himself. In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. The use of that word us in reference to God is also used in chapter 3, verse 22. Let us we believe that we have one God, but he exists in three distinct but totally connected persons. John tells us that the, in the first chapter of his gospel that Jesus was there at creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Our God is one, but he's also a community of three he exists in relationship. Those verses in Genesis, they, they show us a conversation taking place within the Trinity. Even those concepts of God the Father and God the Son, they help to develop this further. And this, this is the God who created us, who made us different from all the other animals by making us in his image, by breathing his own breath of life into our nostrils. Just as God exists in community, in family, so we are made to be in relationship. We're made to be in family. We see this pretty quickly in the, in the Genesis narrative, when the very first thing that God says is not good is for man to be alone. 
And so he makes him a companion, a helper, someone to be in relationship with him so that both can grow and develop and find fulfillment. And God blesses them with the means to make more people to join this family, more people to be in relationship with, more people to build and encourage one another, to challenge and develop each other. That's what family, whether it's biological or not, that is what family at its best is meant to do. Andy Crouch um, has written a book. Funny enough, it's called The TechWise Family. Um, I haven't lifted this all directly from it, uh, but a lot of the concepts and ideas that we're talking about today um, are coming from, from a tiny little bit of what he has written there. Um, in his book, he outlines some of the, the key things that he thinks family is all about. He says family is about growing in wisdom and courage. He says the home is about developing character and creativity, and that ultimately all we do as family is to grow in our knowledge and love of God for one another and for our world. It's a lovely thought, isn't it? I wonder what family life looked like for you this morning. Was your home a place of of wisdom and creativity? Was it a place that that resembled the, the Garden of Eden? Or was it more like modern day Iraq? A wee bit of a war zone. We're getting the kids to to maybe sit down in front of the TV or be on their tablets for half an hour was just necessary to let you get your head above water for a few minutes. Maybe you've teenagers in your home, some of whom spend all of their time with their headphones on, gaming, slagging somebody's mom off who lives halfway across the world. Or on that rare occasion where they emerge from their rooms to eat or go to the bathroom, they, they, they don't really see you because their head is permanently transfixed by the blue light coming from that all-important rectangle. And the problem is those of us in our 20s and 30s were probably just as bad, if not worse. Young people, maybe as the research stated at the start, you'd love to talk more with the people at home. But with bringing their work home on laptops, with parents watching shows you're not interested in, or always on BT or Sky Sports, or playing with their latest gadgets, you just never quite get the chance to connect anymore. Maybe your home was silent this morning. This talk of of family is, is difficult for you because you spend so much of your time on your own. Perhaps this morning you had the TV or the radio on not for entertainment, not as a distraction, but just for a bit of company. You see, we don't have to look too much further into the Genesis account to see this ideal picture of family. It all falls apart. Sin enters the world, and it has been just twisting and distorting God's creation ever since. In Genesis 4, we come across Cain and Abel, Cain, he takes his eyes off God, and unlike Abel, he doesn't bring God a worthy offering. Abel brings the first fruits, the best of his flock. Cain, on the other hand, he just makes an offering. He keeps the best of his he keeps the best for himself, revealing that his heart is not focused on God, but focused on his own material benefits and ease of life. Not honoring God. And it leads to a complete breakdown of family. 
and the death of Abel by Cain. You see, if we don't put technology in its proper place in our lives, it can become just as disastrous for us as putting other things in the place of God was for Cain. It will lead us and our relationships to a slow death. I wonder when you think about that word family. I wonder what images, what people pop into your head. Do you think about the people who, who, who live under your roof? Maybe you think of your close relations, grandparents, maybe some close aunts, uncles, cousins. Maybe you think about your extended family, the big crowd. In that Bible passage from Matthew 12 that, that Colin read for us earlier, Jesus, he has a much bigger picture in mind when he's asked about family. Jesus says that, that anyone doing the will of God, doing the will of the Father, essentially those of us adopted as children of God, those putting our faith in Christ, because that's what the will of God is for us, to follow him. As that, those great uh, theologians of the 1980s, Sister Sledge said, we are fam Ali. But you see, increasing individualism, busyness, and tech has led us to think in smaller and smaller and smaller terms of what family is all about. Gone is the idea of the big tribe. Government figures suggest more people than ever before in Britain are living alone. But 7.7 million. And the figures are rising at a higher rate, a higher pace than ever before. See, we are through phones, emails, social media, WhatsApp, FaceTime, Skype, airplanes, cars. We're probably more connected to the world than we've ever been before. And yet our connections are probably as shallow as they have ever been. We send a text rather than meet someone face to face. We say we're too busy to spend time with other people, but in our free moments, we're just mindlessly scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or whatever else we've got downloaded onto our phones. We use our free time to, to binge on Netflix when members of our big family who have wisdom and stories that far outweigh anything on our TVs sit alone and lonely because our concept of family has become too small. And tech is one of those things that can easily distract us from being aware of the needs of our little families and our big family. We as the, the family of faith need to be tech-wise as well. And we try and demonstrate that a wee bit here. Simple example. We put the words from the songs up on the screen. We think that's great. It means we can lift up our heads and we can sing better than if we had our heads down in books. It means we can see each other. We can be a family as we join collectively to lift up our praise to God but we don't, or we very rarely put the Bible verses up on the screen. Why? Because we want you to be people of the Word. We want you to be sitting with a passage open in front of you, seeing what's around it, following along with us. Today's not a great example of that, but that's our norm. It's an area where we've said, you know what, tech maybe isn't the best way to go or to grow in this situation. Or look at this whole church suite thing that we've launched. 
We hope in the long run it will put all the many different email conversations and rotas that are going here, there, and everywhere, uh, through WhatsApp and all sorts of places, all of that into one place, to move it all to one very open place, to make communication, that sense of being part of a family even stronger here. But we're also mindful, mindful of not leaving anyone behind, making sure that everyone, whether they're on church suite or not, still feels a part of that family, still gets to connect in. The tech is good, brilliant, but it's not everything. So what are we meant to do about all this? How do we become tech-wise families? Well, this is where the, the other passage that Colin read for us today comes in. Hebrews 10. If you've been with us in the evenings, you'll know that Hebrews was a, a book written to a church tempted by, by persecution and difficulty and the, the burdens of the world to give up being a church, to give up being a family, and to go back to their old lives, their lives of less. And the writer, he, he's reminding them of what their family should be all about. The beginning of that passage that we read, it, it reminds them that, that their connection is because of Jesus. It's because of what Jesus has already done. Many of us are sitting here today because we are connected to each other because of what Jesus has done. That's what makes us family. But then he goes on to talk about, about how, uh, what their family should be all about, how to connect in. And in verses 24 and 25, he says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think if we took those verses as our mantra for how we deal with tech, we would be in a pretty good place. How do we use tech to, to, to love uh, to spur each other on to love and good deeds? How do we use tech to, to encourage our meeting together? How do we use it to, to encourage each other um, and build good habits? And in what ways does it not do those things? And how do we get rid of them? The question is, how do we use that technology to do those things, to spur each other on in love and good works? How do we use it to grow and encourage each other as individuals and as a family? Andy Crouch, in his book, outlines 10 commitments that he and his family, as, as tech lovers, as people who, who have lots of tech and love it, these are commitments that they made to nudge them over the years in the right direction. He offers them not as an outline for other families to use, but simply as what has worked for his family. And I thought it might be helpful for us to have a quick look at them as a way to get us just to think about how some of these maybe might apply to our own situation. So we're going to stick them up here. I'm going to just talk you through them. These are the, the commitments that he has made over the years, things that have worked for him. First one, we develop wisdom and courage together as a family. He learned very early on, especially once his kids became teenagers, that telling them to do stuff or forcing them to do things was not the way to go. I wonder if you discovered that too. It's got to be a family affair. We want to try and grow together as families for the gospel. We want to have wisdom in doing that. We want to encourage each other. That means, young people, you've got to fight with your parents about getting them to lose their phones and their tech and put them away as well sometimes. How do we do that as a family? How do we go together? 
and think about these things together. That's the thing. That's the crux that he has put at the top of his list, the thing that, that, that feeds into all these other ones. Let's be wise about this. Let's be courageous, and let's do it as a family. We want to create more than we consume, so we fill the center of our home with things that reward skill and active engagement. This is that whole thing of passive versus active. Do we sit mindlessly doing stuff on social media, or do we uh, use apps on our phones, apps on our tablets that encourage creativity, that engage us rather than just passively entertain us or fill the boredom of our lives? How do we do that? That whole idea of, of things that, that push us to individualism or that draw us together as a group. One of the examples that he gives is that he says one of the things that they learned pretty early on was how brilliant Pixar films are. He says a Pixar film is better than any other children's film. I don't know if I quite agree with that, but he says they're brilliant because there's stuff in there for everybody. So as a family, they gather and they still, this is not throw out your TV, this is not get rid of all your tech, this is how do we use it to bring us together as a family. One of the things he says is Pixar films are brilliant. Because unlike a lot of other children's films where 10 minutes in, you as a parent are sitting on your phone because it's rubbish. Your kids are loving it, but you think it's rubbish. Those are films that draw everybody together. So it's about how do we, how do we put good things in place to help us? How do we make them active? How do we make them group projects rather than things that are passive and individual that separate us all off as families into different rooms um, where we don't get to know each other, where we don't be in community? We're designed for a rhythm of work and rest. So one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year, we turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. Wonder when the last time your phone was switched off was. Wonder when the last time, the last day went by that you didn't have the TV on at some point. Maybe it's good to build in a little bit of time where you just go out into the world as a family tech free and maybe that might put in place when you come back to the tech you may be able to see it in a slightly more uh, put it properly into its place one of the things that Andy talks about in his book that I thought was class was what he does with his work emails when he's not at work so when he's when he's on holiday what do we do with our work emails when we're on holiday we put on our little message that says I am out of the office at the minute I will deal with your email when I return what does that do does that create a restful atmosphere in us? Two days before you come back from holiday, you go, oh my word, what am I walking back into? Andy says in his email that he sends out, he says, I am out of the office, I am on holiday, I will not be responding to your email. It will be archived and deleted. If you need me, if you need me, email me again after this date. So he goes away, he knows that he's not walking back to those two weeks of work that he's taken off. He's not just having to do them in the two weeks he comes back, stressing them out, making the rest that he was meant to have gone. He says, if it's important, get back in touch with me. If it's not, it's not. We wake up before our devices do and they go to bed before we do. What's the first thing you do in the morning? My alarm is on my phone. So all too often, I turn my alarm off and I'm straight into Facebook or whatever. Time hop is one of the things I look at. So it shows me all my photos from all the different years. It's great, but it's probably not great for first thing in the morning. 
wonder when you first look at your phone. I wonder when you last look at your phone in the day. What if your phone didn't live in your room? What if you traded it in for a simple alarm clock and you put your phone to bed before you go? What if it didn't control when you go to bed? What if it didn't feed that blue light that simulates daylight and keeps you awake and stops you from sleeping right up until you go to bed? I wonder, are you one of these people that if you're lying in bed and you're half asleep and you see the phone flash, do you have to touch it? Do you have to see what it is? Is your phone distracting you from rest? Is it distracting you from life? Is it distracting you from having God be the first thing you think about each morning and the last thing you think about each night? We aim for no screens before double digits at home. Uh, these guys didn't have a TV. Even though they're tech lovers, they didn't have a TV, and they didn't give their, phone, their kids phones or tablets at all until the kids turned 10. Um, their kids are now, I think, 19 and 16, um, and they have thanked their parents for doing that. I don't know whether your children would thank you for doing that, but it's something to think about. Are we responsible enough to have these things if we can't put them in their proper places? We use screens for a purpose and we use them together rather than using them aimlessly and alone. This is a little bit like that second one. Do you ever do that thing where you set your phone down and you, you constantly just keep picking it up to see if there are any messages or emails? Next thing you're on, doing stuff, just repeats and repeats and repeats. What if you got those apps to forget your password? So it took you seven seconds to get in rather than one. Maybe you think a bit more before you just aimlessly go on and start doing stuff. Or you maybe want to think about, well, what things do I really need? What apps do I really need on my phone? Do I need constant access to Instagram, constant access to Facebook? Do I need the news uh, app on my phone sending me news alerts every time something terrible happens in the world? Or can I go and look at that when I want to, when I need to? Or maybe instead of setting your phone beside you on silent, you leave it out of reach on loud. If somebody needs you, you can go and get it. But it's not there as a constant temptation to disengage with family life. Car time is conversation time. What if you designated the car or the dinner table as a tech-free zone? Do you know, apparently it takes seven minutes seven uninterrupted minutes to get to any level of depth in conversation. I wonder when the last time it was that you had a seven-minute conversation. Spouses have one another passwords, and parents have total access to children's devices. Because of what exists all over the internet, uh, tech can be a doorway to deception and addiction within families. What if you as a family chose to keep the doors as open as possible? Uh, nine, we learn to sing together rather than letting recorded and amplified music take over our lives and worship. Andy Crouch is a musician as well, so this one's probably quite specific to him. Um, but he thinks that one thing that all families should do is sing together and be creative together rather than just be consumers of music and media. We show up in person for the big events of life. We learn how to be human by being fully present at our moments of greatest vulnerability. One thing tech can do is depersonalize us and dehumanize us. We can substitute uh, shallow relationships for the depth we need to grow. As we've said this morning, we're made for community and we need it. Let me just finish with, with a few more words from, from Andy. He says this, 
The pace of technological change has surpassed anyone's capacity to develop enough wisdom to handle it. The challenge we face is this. If we don't learn to put technology in all its forms in their proper place, we will miss out on many of the best parts of life as a family. Technology in its proper place, it helps us to bond with real people we have been given to love. It's out of its proper place when we end up bonding with people at a distance. Technology is in its proper place, starts great conversations. It's out of its proper place where it prevents us from talking with and listening to one another. Technology is in its proper place when we use it with intention and care. But technology doesn't stay in its proper place on its own. It finds its way underfoot all over the house and all over our lives. If we aren't intentional and careful, we'll end up with quite an extraordinary mess. This is not a a talk this morning that I expect you all to fully agree with. This is not grappling with a passage of Scripture and giving you some clear application from Scripture to take out into your week and apply. So what is it? What I hope this is is a conversation starter. I hope you go back into your families, um, whatever they may look like, and think about the impact that technology is having on you and them. And you may consider maybe working together to put in place some of your own little nudges, some commitments of your own that might be able to help you to use technology to grow and push each other to better, more Christ-honoring life for you, your family, and hopefully for our big family here at Kirkpatrick. That's what this morning is all about. Let's just pray.